Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, Jerry. Peyton uh, did a nice job as he was reflecting with us uh, for communion and highlighting that we are coming up on a new calendar year. Uh, As I get started this morning, I wanted to tell you about something that's going to begin next week. So first I want to spend just a minute telling you about it, and then I'll tell you how to participate in it. But uh, I've got a thing we're going to be doing. Uh, Starting next week, I'm going to be preaching a series on the book of Proverbs. And uh, as you may know, Proverbs is a large book, and there's a lot of stuff to Proverbs. And so you've got kind of the beginning part of the book, which has some longer essays about wisdom and the value of wisdom. And then once you get into about chapter 10, you have these wonderful collections of little tidbits of knowledge. So the way that I'm going to try and, you know, explore this book with you is that for my Sunday morning sermons, my sermons are going to be drawing more for some some of the longer essays and narrative sections at the beginning. But we've also got a thing we're going to call the character challenge. And I'm inviting you to participate in this on a weekly basis. Uh, What this is going to mean is that every week we're going to pick out a theme in Proverbs, and I have pulled together some selected quotes from the book around a certain theme. Um, We're going to be printing off little devotional guides that you can get in the bulletin each week, but we also have the option of a weekly email that I'm creating. So if you'd like to participate in getting these emails, every Sunday, I've got them scheduled to go out at 2 p.m., you'll get an email that has the readings for that week and also some little reflection questions. Uh, The goal for this is that you could use this to do Bible study with your spouse, uh, with your children. If there's a coworker you've been wanting to reach out to, and uh, so I'm trying to put some tools in your hand to make that uh, an easier thing to do. So if you'd like to do that, I know normally we say put your smartphones away, but I would say right now if you'd like to sign up, go ahead and pull out your smartphone. Blake, if you would roll that video clip, you would go to kingscrossingcoc.com slash character. Or you could just go to the website, kingscrossingcoc.com. But if you go to kingscrossingcoc.com slash character, uh, it will load on a special page that talks about what it is that we're doing. Another way to get there from our website is to go to the quick links tab, and there's a button there for character challenge. But you'd scroll down to the bottom of the screen, and when you get started there, there's a little section you can click to sign up. And so if you click sign up, you'd enter your name, email address, and that will put you on my list. And that means that once a week, you'll get an email from me on Sunday afternoon with your devotional guide for the week. Uh, I would also point out, I'm designing this in such a way that you don't really have to be someone who goes here to church to participate or to benefit from this. So if there's anyone you know that you think might be interested in doing this with you, even if they're not a church member, or maybe especially if they're not a church member, uh, they're more than welcome to sign up, and it'll be kind of a self-contained effort that I hope will be a 
blessing to us. But again, we are getting ready to move next week into the book of Proverbs, and uh, we'll be doing that up until Easter time. So looking forward uh, to studying that with you. I think it's going to be greatly beneficial, and I also hope you'll enjoy some of the extra content. Uh, I've got some extra things I'll be emailing out that I won't have the opportunity to present to you here. So looking forward to that. Uh, Today we're wrapping up our series where we've been reflecting for the entire month of December on the person of Jesus Christ. And to get us into this one, I wanted us to look at Jeremiah chapter 4. This is, in my opinion, one of the bleakest passages in Scripture. Uh, It's a hard one to read. It's a hard one to think about. If you were to talk to most people and say, is there some part of the Old Testament story that bothers you? Many of us might would point to the conquest of Joshua and the other Israelite leaders through the land of Canaan as they drove out those peoples who were living there. And you'd say, well, I know God is giving his people the promised land, but I kind of hate to think of the violence involved in taking over the promised land and what was involved in doing that because there is some accountability, right? If if God's going to enable you to take something from someone else, there's an expectation of moral character that should go with that, that God's going to privilege you with this place, and therefore you ought to be responsible in how you use it. Now, the unfortunate reality is, as Israel was given this promised land, they became corrupt. They didn't stay faithful to the Lord. They grew wicked, and in fact, the realization here in Jeremiah 4 is that the people of Israel have now become every bit as bad as the very people God had helped them to drive out of the land. Morally, they were not superior in any way. They had become just as violent. They were just as likely to oppress the, oppress the poor and exploit the weak. They're just as godless. They're just as hungry for idols. Jeremiah will point out it's as if they're just living backwards from the things God had intended them to be like. Not only were they not being a light for the Gentiles, they themselves were really shrouded in darkness and their eyes had become blinded to the will of God. This is a passage that reminds us that a lot of times you can tell a lot about a person just based on what they're experts in. What what is your area of expertise? It should be the thing that you're thinking about the most, spending the most time in, focusing on the most. Those are the things you should become experts at. And so Jeremiah is looking at the people of God and says, you know, these are people who are masterful in how to rip off a person and get away with it. They're masterful at finding loopholes to exploit in a system to their own personal gain. They know how to do evil and to cover up their tracks. They're experts in all of these things. But in how to live a good life, how to be a decent person, they don't have a clue how to do this which is not at all the reason why God had given us this land. And so Jeremiah goes on to say that in the mind of God, when he sees his created things, his created people living for something that is the opposite of the purpose for which he created them, it's as if creation itself has been kind of reversed and undone. And so here in Jeremiah 4, I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to notice, if you remember that Genesis 1 creation story, This is like that in reverse. There's all these echoes of the wording of Genesis 1 as Jeremiah talks about what has become of God's people. We can go to that next slide, Blake. It says, my people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and void, and at the heavens and their light was gone. 
I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking, at the hills, and they were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruin before the Lord, before his fierce anger. He's looking at all of creation, and it's as if everything has gone back to nothing. The hills and the mountains that should be established as long as time, even those things are quaking and swaying because the people of God have forgotten their purpose. All of this tells us that the very same things that you see in life that make you frustrated, when you see someone who's being mistreated and oppressed, when you see someone who's using an advantage over other people, when you see someone who's, who's being wicked and malicious, these things that bother you and you say, surely there's got to be someone in the universe strong enough to make these things right, those are the very same things that frustrate the heart of God. God looks at his people and says, what good is any of this beautiful world I've created if we're only going to use our time here against the purposes of God? That was the harsh reality he had as he looked at the people of Israel. As I was looking at this story, I think I may have shared this with you before, but I, just indulge me, I'm going to share it again. One, one of my favorite documents from the ancient world comes from Babylon. Uh, it's this document, it's actually an incantation, like a spell, and it's written in Akkadian. And this happens to be something from someone who is doing dental work. And I know we've got a couple of dentists here among us, but if you can imagine, sometime between 1 and 1,000 B.C., if you went to the dentist in ancient Babylon, they would treat you for a toothache, but what they believed to be the cause of toothaches was some kind of a maggot or worm had gotten in between your tooth and your jaw and was bothering you. And so, if you wanted to go to the dentist, this was primarily a visit to do something about a worm that you had bothering your mouth. And so, they would go to their dentist, and I don't know if he had a chair, he set them in, but on this clay tablet, there's an explana explanation of what the dentist was to do. And so, it says, you mix together a small amount of beer, a lump of malt, and some oil, and you prepare to anoint this person's aching tooth with this ointment. But before you do that, you're going to read the following incantation three times. So this is what you would hear if you went to the dentist office. He would make this ointment, and he would hold it on your tooth, and he would say this. After Anum had made the heavens, the heavens had made the earth, the earth had made the rivers, the rivers had made the irrigation ditches, the ditches had made the mud, and the mud had made the worm. The worm went in tears before Shamash. Before Ai, his tears were flowing. What have you given me to eat? What have you given me to suck? I have given you the ripe fig and the apricot. What are these to me, the ripe fig and the apricot? Lift me up and let me dwell between the teeth and the jaws. Let me suck the very blood of the tooth. Let me gnaw on the very bone of the jaw. And here's the rebuke. Drive in a peg and seize the foot. Because you said this, O worm, let Aos smite you with his mighty fist. So they would do that three times, and then I guess they would show them their x-rays and give them their little goodie bag and send them to make, you know, the six-month appointment. But that was a dentist visit, you know, in ancient Babylon. Rebuking of the worm that was bothering your tooth, so they thought. So that's kind of a silly thing to think about. 
But there is some kind of a deeper thing going on here that shows something that should be obvious even to the pagans. See, the pagans could look at a worm and say, even a worm has a purpose in this world. It has something for which it was created, and the role of that worm is to do the thing that worms were created to do. So the rebuke to the worm is, you were not made to climb up into people's jaws and suck blood out of their teeth. You were made to go and eat apricots and to eat figs and other fruit. That's what worms are for. Worm, you're doing the thing you were not created to do, and therefore may God smite you with his fist. That's how they would rebuke the worm. So it's a basis for rebuke that we would look at all the things that God has created and say, you know, you have a purpose for being here. There are reasons that God made you. There are gifts that God has given you. And the thing each of us ought to be doing is honoring that that image of God that we bear and the purposes of God that he has placed within us. So we've been doing this series we're calling Glimpses of the Savior. And this whole month, we have thought about the person of Jesus Christ, and we've kind of gone in reverse order. We started by looking at Jesus as our resurrected, risen Lord, who is therefore worthy of all honor. We next talked about Jesus as our crucified Savior, who is therefore worthy of all gratitude and reverence. We've talked about Jesus as our teacher and example, who is worthy of all imitation. Last, year we spoke, uh, last week, we spoke of Jesus as our friend and brother, for he became one of us and is therefore worthy of our total honesty because he understands us. And so as we've kind of moved backwards through the story of Jesus, we talked about his birth, but now we're talking about Jesus as our creator, that he is worthy of our obedience, our obedience because we are here by his intention and his design. So this is an important thing to understand about the Christian faith. As Christians, we we really don't believe that Jesus was just a person. We don't think that Jesus was just some guy who was born, and some would say, well, maybe at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and he was given like this special nature that other people didn't have. We, as Christians, we confess that we believe Jesus is actually God, that he is the Lord, that before the world was created, as Jerry read for us, there is nothing that has been made apart from the involvement of Jesus Christ. Uh, When we pray to him, we don't believe we're praying to a created being, we're praying to someone who is eternal there with God the Father. I have a couple of pieces of art I'm going to share with you, and I want to read through some passages for us to reflect on this truth together. Jesus was indeed before all things. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love that phrase, all things are created through him, but also for him, that Jesus would reign supreme over all things. In him, all things hold together. It is in Christ that we find our purpose, that we find our most abundant possible life. It's in his footsteps that we find the best possible direction that we could be walking. In the book of Job, God is speaking of all the wisdom and purpose built into creation. I love this text where he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? Jesus could even speak of creation in his own right and say, are two birds not sold for a penny? Yet not one of these falls to the ground without your father's consent. That Jesus is before all things and it's only through him that all things have come into existence. And for him, this is something that's joyful. If you could summarize God's commands, his big commands to human beings throughout history, there are a couple of big ones we could talk about which both say basically the same thing. Upon the completion of creation, God looked to his good world that he had made and said, go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what God said to creation. He said, oh, this is wonderful. It's very good. These people, these creatures in a right relationship with God. And he said, I want a whole world that's like that. So be fruitful, multiply, go out and fill the earth. Jesus said almost the exact same thing once he rose from the dead and was glorified. In Matthew chapter 28, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's speaking as God. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is our creator before all things. John says Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
And knowing that Jesus is our creator and he's the one who comes before us in all things, there are several things that that means for us. One of the things that means for us is that our lives should be lives of intention because we live in a world that was designed. Why is it that at the prospect of there being nothing, I mean, God doesn't need us in order to be God. He doesn't need a world. He didn't need a creation. Whether we gathered him and praised him Sunday morning or no one did, he would not be any less God than he is. He doesn't hinge his identity on us, so he would have been just fine with nothing, yet God saw value in creating something. And not just something moderate, but he did excellent work. He made a beautiful world, a beautiful cosmos in which we dwell. And he created something rather than leaving it all as nothing. It means that for God, it is a delight for us to be here, especially when we're doing the things he's placed us here to do. Remember, even the worm has a purpose, doesn't it? A little harder to justify the purpose of mosquitoes, I think. But, you know, everything in creation somehow has got to have some reason for which God put it here. And if that's true for the animals and the creatures, certainly that's true for us. So what, what do we do in our lives? We live lives that are purposeful. You don't wake up in the morning wondering whether or not there's any reason for you to be alive. What you do is you get up and you seek out what that purpose is, because there is a purpose. There are things that should be accomplished because you are alive. There are things that should be done, conversations that should be had because you're here. God lives a life of intention and design, intends for us to live a life of intention and design, that we're not passive, but that we're active participants while we're given this breath of life that is also a gift from God. Knowing that Jesus is our creating Lord means we live a life of intention. It also means that we live a life of flourishing. You remember that command, be fruitful and multiply. Go, Jesus said, and make disciples. So our invitation from God is to be fruitful. Fortunately, each of us are gifted in different ways. There are some things that some of us easily gravitate towards, we understand intuitively, we can do easily, while others of us do the very same things, would have to sit back just in awe and wonder, how does anybody do something like that? But each of us has those things we've been gifted by God to do. We have opportunities to serve. We have opportunities to lead and encourage and make a way where there wasn't a way before. But it seems to be God's intention that we would flourish. So wherever it is that God has planted you, make your best effort to bloom in that place. Because we trust that if we're here by God's design, he is going to give you what you need to do the things he's asking you to do. That he'll sustain you in these things. So whatever the gifts are that you've been given, whatever the talents and opportunities are, step up to that plate and serve with everything that you've got. Let good things increase because you were here on this earth. God wants to see the good things be fruitful and multiply and increase and be found more and more places around the world. This also means for us that we are to live a life of connections to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with disciples, this is something that's social. This is something that we cannot merely accomplish on our own. It was never God's intention that we would simply be like Lone Ranger Christians. This is why in Scripture you very seldom see 
writings talking about Christians individually. It's always speaking of the church. We're saved by being part of the church. We're part of the work of God by being connected to and committed to and involved in the church, God's people, not God's person, but God's people, that we do these things together. And because we do things together, we can accomplish so much more than any of us could have done in isolation on our own. Remember these two components of of discipleship. We need to have the Word of God to look at. We need to have Scripture. But there's also so much value in your personal story of how God has carried you through your life. It's part of, again, that character challenge, why we're inviting you to find someone to be a conversation partner as you go. Use Scripture, but also use those stories of how God has been at work in your life and in each other's lives, because God intends in His creation to see a life of connections, that we would do all these things and be fruitful and multiply, and because we're here, things are better than things would have been without us. God says that His creation is undone, Jeremiah tells us, when people live selfishly in isolation with no regard for each other or the plight of people who have difficulties. We fulfill God's purposes for us when we live lives of intent, when we strive to flourish and to strengthen each other along that path. As you reflect on your own life, and we're here at the end of 2018, I just wonder what are some of the goals that you were making a year ago and how much have you tried to follow through on those goals? Is there something you told yourself you would be doing by now that maybe you still haven't started doing? Or maybe there's this habit you said, well, for sure I'm going to kick that by next year, and maybe you didn't even take the first step to address it. I think an important question for every Christian, I mean, in, in this conversation about you know, going out and being fruitful and multiplying, and Jesus saying as a disciple to make other people disciples, I always like to ask that question, is there anyone who is now a Christian this year who wasn't a Christian last year because of something that I helped with? Who is coming to faith in Jesus Christ because you are a Christian? What fruit are you producing in your choices, in your actions? What commitments are you honoring? And if this morning, you know, this is a good time at the end of the year to think about how you want to be different next year. So whether this is something you do individually in your seat as we reflect together, or maybe this is something you'd like to come forward and say, I just want to go ahead and commit Here's the kind of person I'm going to try and be, and I need your help in doing this. Uh, If there's anything that you'd like to make a commitment to, this is a good time to do that. And if there's something you'd like to tell us about, we would invite you to come forward and speak to us while together we stand and sing this song.